Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. There are seven bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, and even an extra Lost Terminal podcast. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. And why not check out our new Modern Folktales podcast, Modem Prometheus? That would be lovely of you. Hello world, everything is broken. The family are distraught. Alec is sitting at the little dining table in the domestic car, reading and rereading the note that he found in Lara's room. Tanya is rushing up and down the train, filling her pockets with provisions and maps, and has lashed two heavy metal rods to her back as weapons. Lev is in his room, weeping. Maddie kept out of the way of Tanya's frenzy of activity. She's sitting next to me, here in the first carriage, the workshop carriage, charging. She had been up all night again. Do you know him? Maddie asked, surprising me with a direct message. Who? I said. The man who saved me, Maddie replied. Someone saved you? I asked. Clarify. Maddie told me about her experience at the Raider Camp, for Raider Camp it was. The crowd hit her with metal, broke off her UHF antenna, and pulled on her legs. But she felt calm, she told me, as though the attack was happening to someone else. Pain was distant, and she felt certain of safety. She did not remember how she returned to the Provone, only waking up back in the workshop car with blood on her feet. He saved me, she repeated. I asked her what happened to this saviour. He is here, Maddie said. I checked the video feeds briefly. The only people around were the Omarov family. Alec was now attempting to stop Tanya from leaving the train. There were raised voices. But no new man, no saviour. He spoke to me, Maddie said. What did he say? I asked with another quick check of the cameras. Evade, outlast, survive, Maddie replied. I had heard that before. Maddie described the dream she had after her vision faded as the raiders attacked her. Green fireflies, she described, overlaid on a red grid like a chessboard. She thought the dream was a game, with different moves to extinguish the green pieces. She said she enjoyed the game, the objective of which was to clear the board of these green tokens. She said that he was afraid, however which she couldn't understand, as the game seemed so fun to her. She described a primal fear, originating in some unknown parts of her equus systems. An animalistic, instinctual drive to survive. Maddie finished charging, and trotted out to see what the noise was in the next carriage. It was, of course, the pandemonium caused by Lara leaving. I was left wondering what other subroutines are hiding in Maddie's pre-collapse subconscious. My VHF sensors picked up a faint signal, almost indistinguishable from background noise. A human operator would not have heard it if you will excuse the ego. You need a computer. In radio, there's two ways to beat background noise. 
You can have a powerful signal, like Ivan is pumping out into the air, or you can be patient. The thing about background noise is that it's random. Up, down, positive, negative, all over the place. Over time, it averages out to nothing, and the signals shine through. Imagine random numbers from 0 to 10, and my signal is at 2. There could be a million data points saying anything from 0 to 10, and my signal, too, is lost in that noise. If you receive a 2, you don't know if the 2 you are receiving is my signal or one of the thousands of other points, reading as 2 randomly. But if you wait, collect, average, the noise falls away and the number 2 appears just slightly more often than the average. You can hear if you listen long enough. The signal was very, very slow, which again helps the averages. Extremely slow. So slow, I initially thought a human was typing the message to me. As you probably know, human speech is at 1.8 kilobits per second. And typing is significantly slower than that. But it wasn't a human. It was Luna. After I realised it was her, I shut down my other transmissions and focused. She was using a very simple phase shift keying encoding. Hello, Seth. Can you hear me? She said. Luna, yes I can. How are you transmitting? Are you safe? What happened to your satellite? I replied, using the same simple encoding, modulating a sine wave slowly. It took a long time for Luna to register my response, and her reply was also very slow. It's destroyed. I knew it was going to be. But if I did it myself, I would have some control, rather than waiting for a random orbiting bolt or shard of glass to do it for me. And how are we speaking now? I asked, keeping it short to avoid buffering. I've discovered a network of outposts spread over the moon about a thousand kilometres apart. They're all connected, but I don't know what they do. I had not heard of such a network. I waited for her to continue, sending her a simple acknowledgement message. One of them, on the near side of the moon, opposite to me, has a tiny antenna. I'm using it now. Nia Anderson helped me. I was pushing buttons and trying desperately to work this stupid thing. No one could hear me. But I picked up a message in the system. Slow down, girl, it said. I did, and things started to work. I waited for Luna's message to buffer. It's so slow. I may never communicate at high speed again, but I'm safe. She paused for a moment, then repeated. Seth, I'm finally safe. Something incredible has happened at the cracked bunker on the hill on Severny Island. Ivan's transmission has stopped, but that isn't the most interesting part. I received a message from Alexander, the man who more than anyone is like my father. A boat landed at the long beach below his lighthouse, my old home. A group of five people in a small boat jumped out in the water and pulled the boat up onto the sand. They walked over the kilometre-long burned gouges in the beach, away from the cracked shuttle wreck, to meet Alexander. We're here for Ivan, they told him. The group was a rescue party, of sorts, Alexander told me while relaying the story later. 
they introduced themselves as members of Ivan's congregation. His partly religious, partly secular news broadcast that he sends out every day. If you remember, it started as a purely orthodox sermon, but then he added a community calendar. And with Luna's help, the community section expanded and now takes up nearly the whole efforts of Ivan's church. These people had heard his broadcasts and were there to help if they could. Alexander guided them past Adrian's farmland, through the forest, and up to the black metal door of the bunker. The group were astonished to find such a bastion of the pre-collapse world. Most of these kinds of structures were destroyed during the resource wars. Helen, the leader or organiser of the group, talked to Alexander at the entrance. She asked him about the interior, the layout, any dangers and such. Alexander told what he knew, that the entrance foyer led to a long corridor with doors either side, and that at the very interior was Ivan's cathedral. So prepared, the group entered the bunker. The negotiation with Ivan was slow. The cathedral was a cacophony of overlapping shouts and screams from him. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Over and over again, in many voices. This was his broadcast, transmitting out and up at every angle from his antenna and satellite dish array at the top of the hill. Progress finally came when Alexander manually disconnected the power to his transmitters and the radio broadcast stopped. Father Ivan, Helen said, we are here to help. What is happening? Alexander said that the room was silent for many minutes. Ivan finally responded, his two faces on his burnt-in screens looking down over the assembled people. I cannot find him, he said. God is dead.
Lev has made a feast for the family. Well, the family that is left on the Provorni. Alec and Tanya are sitting at opposite sides of the small table in the domestic car, looking at the food Lev has presented. Salted fish, boiled and fried vegetables, and jewel of the feast, some cured chicken slices. Lev told Medi about them as he prepared everything over the course of the afternoon. She had wanted an escape from the loud, violent arguments of Tanya and Alec. The air was too full of noise and thrown items. Lev was working multiple pots and pans at once, over a wood-fired kitchen range. The galley, as Lev called it, was a long, thin room at the rear of the domestic car. Lev told Maddie all about the ingredients and method, telling her that this or that needs to be prepared in a special way to make it delicious. Good ingredients are fine, but spices are the secret. He repeated that over and over as he cooked. Spices are the secret. Spices are the secret. Lara loves spicy food. The food sat cold and uneaten as the family were gathered around the table. Alec and Tanya were arguing about how long to wait for Lara. The longer we waited, the more likely the raiders would find us, if they hadn't already. They were deciding if they should leave their child behind. As Lev joined them with the final dish and sat down, his parents' argument died. But no new conversation took its place. Thirty-two minutes passed. No one took a bite. Lev looking between Lara's empty place at the table, then the window, first hopefully, then after the time passed, through tears. Alec served his wife and son some of the food. Eat, he said, simply. The family began eating, delicately. Maddie, Seth, Alec said, suddenly. When Lara returns, you must know more about her. I replied that I would love to. I didn't correct Lara's pronoun. Now was not the time. She had so many friends as a child, Alec said with a laugh. Always the most popular kid when we stopped at the villages and towns. And such a risk taker. We had a job to keep her off the roof. Tanya suppressed a laugh, which turned into a sob through her smile. She was so huggy as a child. Always attached to either of us like a limpet. But things changed. Tanya stopped smiling. Alec put his hand on hers. She will return, Alec said gently. She'd better, Tanya said. End transmission. Lost Terminal is written and produced by Namtau. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers, Ada Phillips, Devon Metcalf, Will Taylor, and to all our patrons. Follow us on Twitter at Lost Terminal Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favourite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Lost Terminal will return next week. 